Now would you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. As we noted earlier, uh, this will be our last sermon in the book of John for a little bit, but I think that it's a great place to take a pit stop. It's a perfect encapsulation of what this book has been leading to the entire time. John 7, verse 37, and to the end of the chapter reads, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one has ever spoken like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. And even as we turn to it this morning, I pray that our hearts would hear what you have to say that we would recognize that you are an all-satisfying Jesus. You've given your life to us so that we might have life in you. And this gives us every reason to praise you, and yet we recognize even in a room like this, not everyone responds to the truth of the gospel in the same way. So we ask even this morning that you would clarify and make known Christ in the hearts of these students. Uh, And all of us, would you inspire a hope and a love for Jesus that would uh, transcend our own feelings or thoughts about him, but instead be rooted in what we know to be true about him. Help us to submit to the Lordship of Christ by seeing him as our lovely Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Profound question. Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever been thirsty? Yeah, I know. It's kind of a question that makes you chuckle or smile or think that I'm, my IQ is really low, and it is. Um, 
but the reason is because of course you have been. Of course you've been thirsty. And matter of fact, asking you the question makes you think you might be thirsty right now. And some of you have been walking in and out of the room for 20 minutes already because you're thirsty. Thirst is something that's central to life. It's a basic human need. It's something that you wake, it's a way that you wake up in the morning. It's even a way that you kind of go to sleep at night. One of the first things you do when you get up is you get something to drink and probably water. One of the first things you do when you're getting ready to go to bed is probably fill up back on water. You go for a long hike and you're thirsty. You eat a lot of salty food at Thanksgiving and so you're thirsty. You eat more pumpkin pie than you were supposed to and so you're thirsty. You step off of the field on the second quarter and so you're thirsty. Or you finish the third set of a volleyball match and so you're thirsty. Halfway into a marathon, you're thirsty. You get a glaring headache. You know what? You're probably thirsty. This is very vital to what it is to be human, is this idea of being thirsty. At its very core and most basic element, it reminds us that we truly are finite and that we are needy. That thirst that comes to each and every one of us every single day is simply a reminder that we need water in our bodies. Matter of fact, so much so that Harvard has put out a study that says, ladies, you need about 11 and a half cups of water a day. And men, you need 15 and a half cups of water a day. Crazy that Harvard that doesn't know what gender is just told us what men and women need. But anyway... You need lots of water. Why? There are some benefits on water. Water carries nutrients throughout your body. Most particularly, it takes nutrients to your cells. It flushes bad bacteria and bad stuff out of your body. We call that waste. Anyway, it also helps with digestion. Anyway, it also normalizes your blood pressure. It helps regulate your body temperature. Water is used as a fluid that in your spine to keep your bones from just kind of crackling over. It helps provide some kind of shock absorber so that you stand upright. It's also the primary fluid used to protect your brain. Up to 60% of the adult human body is made out of water. Now, for your brain and your heart, that's about 73%. For your lungs, that's 83%. For your skin, that's 64%. For your muscles and kidneys, 79%. Your bones, which you think are kind of dry, and maybe they are, they got water, 31%. Water is so vital to the human being that on average, you go three days without water, you won't be alive. Three days of no water puts you in jeopardy of losing your life. As we close chapter 7 in the book of John, there needs to be an abundance of clarity as to who Jesus is 
And for that clarity, there must be simplicity. In order to make it clear who Jesus is, Jesus chooses to be simple. And his message is this. As the body needs water, so the soul needs Christ. As it's paramount and non-negotiable that if you want to keep living, you will drink water. It is equally and much more importantly so paramount that if you want eternal life, you receive Jesus. As without water, the body fades away. Without Christ, the soul is set to destruction. Without water, you won't make it long. Without Christ, you won't make it eternally. The message of Jesus is that all who thirst need water. And as he said in John four thirteen to 14, everyone who drinks of the earth's water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Needs are meant to be satisfied. So Jesus offers yet again here in John seven thirty seven to 52. He offers you by way of this awesome analogy and portrait an offer to receive eternal and heavenly satisfaction. Your body needs water, but you need Christ. If it hasn't been clear through seven chapters what this book is about, we've talked about this from the very beginning. In John 21, Jesus makes it clear. These things are written so that you might believe in Christ as the Son of God and so have life in His name. Water gives life to the body. Jesus gives life to all those who believe in Him. This is the imagery that God desires to use in this passage to make you know that you need Jesus and that when you receive him, he grants you what only he can, eternal life, life forevermore. I want you to see this in this passage by means of two points. Matter of fact, the reality of Jesus' all-satisfying nature, that he is the soul's greatest desire and greatest need, it's put to us here in the form of an invitation. Jesus invites us to receive this great gift of eternal life by means of coming to him and drinking of everlasting water. But the two points we'll see is that one, though there is a refreshing invitation Two, there are various responses to the invitation. So one, I want us to see the refreshing invitation. And two, I want us to see the various responses to the invitation. Come and drink. That's what Jesus says here. Uh, Not of physical water, but spiritual water. Drink of him and have life. And let's see this invitation play itself out, beginning in verse 37. 
Here on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, let's stop there before we hear the words of Jesus here. It's helpful to be reminded where we are because it'll make the point that much clearer and more powerful as you kind of see it play out in real time. This is taking place at the Feast of Booths, or maybe your Bible says the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's okay. Those are one and the same thing. We talked about last time how this is a celebratory feast where Israel commemorates that God brought them out of Egypt, and not only that, but God provided for them in the wilderness, right? And the way they did that is they have this really fun celebration where for a week at a time, they set up these booths or tabernacles, almost like think about a tent. And they set these up, whether it's on the rooftop of their house or maybe in the plains, in the field, they set these up to remember the wandering in the wilderness. But not only that, but that in that wilderness, God provided for them manna from heaven. He provided for them a way of deliverance into the promised land. What's more, maybe if you remember when they were in the wilderness, God provided something else for them. Do you remember what that is? Take a wild guess. Water. Good. Okay, good job. Water are you talking about? Um, Water. God provided water, right? Uh, There is this whole situation that happens with Moses In the book of Numbers where God tells Moses, speak to the rock and it will provide the water the people are grumbling for. And Moses is so fed up with the complaining of the people, he doesn't speak to it. Instead, he hits it twice and water flows out. And that act of disobedience keeps Moses from entering into the promised land. But it absolutely provides water for the people. If you think you're thirsty by waking up in the morning, imagine being in a wilderness for 40 years, a dry desert. You need water. And so the people, this Feast of Booze, they commemorate God's provision. Something they kind of added along the way was a ceremony centered around celebrating God's provision of water. It wasn't in God's original command, and it's not a bad thing that they would do so, but they added this in, and it's actually rather fascinating. Uh, The priest would uh, dip a a bowl into the waters at the pool of Siloam and bring it over to the altar and pour it there for seven days. And as they did that, they read a particular scripture that would remind them of God's provision And what it is that God has done for them. And it's this in Isaiah 12. Which Caden read for us this morning. You'll say in that day, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This they recited. This they remembered as they celebrated this feast of booths. God's provision of water, which coincides with God's saving work. 
This was typically commemorated on the very last day of the feast. And I would now have you note John 7.37. Where are we? We're on the last day of the feast. Jesus isn't naive. Jesus is calculated. As the people are celebrating God's provision of water in the wilderness... As the people are declaring that God is a savior, that he alone can save. Here at this moment, Jesus stands up and he cries out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. These people have commemorated for centuries. God's provision in the wilderness. But now Jesus takes the opportunity of this celebration to stand up and declare the best news of all. If you think it was great that God provided water in the wilderness, what about when God sends his son to save the world? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Three key parts of the gospel that we see here. This invitation has a threefold process for you. Jesus declares, firstly, you must thirst. If anyone thirsts, it's kind of like me asking you, have you ever been thirsty? If anyone thirsts, we've all been thirsty before. We all know what that feels like. We all understand that concept. And that's the whole point. All of you are included in this invitation. If you've ever felt that experience of thirst, then I'm talking to you. But Jesus isn't handing out bottles of Aquafina. He's not tossing out Dasani's and arrowheads here. Jesus is not talking about a physical thirst here anymore. And the people are not blind to that either. When Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, he's not talking from a physical standpoint. He's talking from a spiritual standpoint. Now this, not everyone agrees with. We all know that physically we get thirsty. We all know what that looks like. But we don't all agree that spiritually we are needy. If you want to receive the blessings of the gospel of Jesus... Point number one is you recognize you need him. It isn't simply that Jesus came to save. It isn't simply that God is a savior. First and foremost, it's that you are in a position where you need him. You can't help yourself. You can't fix your life. You can't make yourself better. You thirst and you don't have what it takes to fix the problem. You want a good way of knowing when a believer is truly one and truly not? A true believer recognizes their thirst. A true believer recognizes their neediness. A true believer understands that the beauty of the gospel is made all the more brilliant because I am a sinner. Absolutely God saves. And what makes that all the more awesome is that I need saving. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me 
and drink. Friends, if your soul is unsatisfied, I can assure you that you can draw from many wells or you can drink from many cisterns. You can try all the pseudo types of water, but there is only one that will satisfy. I mean, you can do like most of us do. I'm thirsty, so I need a Diet Coke. I'm thirsty, so I'm going to drink a Dr. Pepper. I'm thirsty, so I'm going to drink a Gatorade. I'm thirsty, so let me drink something I like. Or maybe because you're thirsty, you should drink what you need, water. In the same way, you can try a multitude of things to quench the spiritual thirst, but there is one who does that, and it is Jesus. Are you thirsty? Is your soul unsatisfied? Is your soul waging war against your conscience? You can try friends. You can try relationships. You can try dating. You can try living in a way that is absolutely against and contrary to the law of God. You can try living for yourself. You can forget all the things your parents say and think that you know better and so just do whatever you want. You can go get that dream job. You can have a family and kids and have the most beautiful family in town. None of that will satisfy. Your thirst has one source that satisfies, which is why Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Second aspect here of the gospel. If you see your neediness, then you must come to Jesus. It isn't sufficient to sit there and say, I see it. Man, I'm a bad person. I do bad things. I have a wicked heart. I absolutely sin. Absolutely, I do things I shouldn't do, and I say things I shouldn't say, and I think things I shouldn't think. It isn't enough to know all that and stay there. If you know those things, then get up and come to Jesus. Sitting in your guilt will not remove it. Sitting in your shame will never get rid of it. You know what will? Coming to Jesus. If you see these things and you see your thirst, then come to Christ. But there is a third step here, isn't there? Notice that seeing your thirst doesn't save you. And maybe notice second here, Coming to Jesus, as great of a step as it is, is not sufficient either. Many walk toward Jesus, but few drink. The third aspect of the gospel here is that you drink. If you are to receive the gospel of Christ and recognize that Jesus satisfies and you are to declare to the world that your soul has found satisfaction in Jesus, it won't be because you recognize you're thirsty. It won't be because you go to church so you get real close to Jesus. It'll be because you drank from the well that Jesus gave you to drink from. You bought in. You know, athletes deal with this all the time. It's really funny, actually. You know, they sit up on a podium after a long game, and this guy here, he's sponsored by Gatorade. And of course, someone puts a Powerade in front of the, 
the podium. And he's annoyed now because he's not a Powerade guy. He's a Gatorade guy like Esai because Esai is a penultimate athlete. And so he's a Gatorade man. He knows that it gives magic Michael Jordan powers. And he sees the Powerade thing there because the NBA now sponsors this guy, but I sponsor this guy. I'm not committed to that. And how do we know he's not committed to that? Because he's not going to drink it under the table, or maybe he'll wrap a little thing around his Gatorade bottle so people don't see the label. He'll, he'll drink his own thing because that's what he's bought into. This is the same that is being said here for us. If you've bought into Jesus, then you have to show it by not just coming forward in your thirst, but by drinking of the water that he supplies. What would that look like for you? Well, verse 38 and 39 make that really clear for us, actually. How can you know that you've actually taken a drink from the well that is Christ? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom Those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. How do you know that you've had a drink from the well that is Christ? Obviously, verse 38 tells us it's because you believe. And to believe in Jesus, whenever you see that word, I think we've been kind of tampered with what it means because of a, the things that we tend to believe in. You know, you tend to believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. And to do that, there's nothing you really need to do at all. You're just like, oh yeah, that guy's real until, you know, eventually you realize it was your dad and that, then it gets real awkward. But uh, believe is not just simply that I know something. Believe is that I know something and so it transforms my life. It informs my decisions. I believe, and so therefore I do. I follow. Whoever believes in me, that is, whoever follows Jesus, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How can you know if you've drunk from the waters that are Christ? You know because that water permeates throughout your life. That water continues to fuel you as you live for Jesus. You know because your life is transformed. You no longer love your sin. You no longer go to other sources to try to find satisfaction. You you no longer go elsewhere to try to find what only Jesus can grant to you. You have found Jesus and Jesus is enough, not only enough to assent to with your mind, but to live for with your life. How can you know? Because your life will no longer be the same once you drink of Christ. Jesus says here that this is attested to us in uh, the scriptures. It's not a direct quote from any other passage. It's just a concept that you see permeated throughout the Bible. You can look at passages like Proverbs eleven twenty five, or you can look at passages like Proverbs 18, 4. I'll show you one that I think is very helpful for us in this case, and it's in Isaiah chapter 44, beginning 
in verse 1, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And what is it that that looks like? End of verse 3. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. To drink of Christ is to be given new life and that life in the spirit of Christ. Now, it's not to say that up to this point, as you see in verse 39, it says he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, as yet the spirit had not been given yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. That can be a little bit confusing, can make it seem like the spirit hasn't been doing anything this whole time. And that's not the point of this. The spirit has always been at work in the heart of God's people and the nation of Israel in particular. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a coming power of the spirit that will only happen when my work is done. And all those who believe in my work will receive it. It actually makes it clearer for us in John chapter 14. You can turn there quickly. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what is it like to know that you've received the gospel? The Spirit lives in you. The Spirit indwells in you, reminds you of Jesus' word and the Scripture's truth, empowers you to walk in His ways, to walk in newness of life. The Spirit convicts you of your sin, draws you to repent to God when you have sinned, draws you to cling to God in times of trouble and trial. The Spirit reminds you that you belong to God, not because of anything you've done, but because of all of what God has done for you. The Spirit assures you that you are God's because God is yours. And this through the person and work of Jesus. What is this great invitation? It's that if you see that you're a sinner, you see that your soul is unsatisfied, that you would come to Jesus and that you would find in Jesus the water of eternal life. And from that you would drink. You would receive him as Lord. You would accept his gospel as true. And when you do so, the spirit would take over your life so that as someone who's going to heaven, you would live like it today. That is the great invitation 
of Jesus. Now, secondly, there are various responses to that invitation. And I want to show them to you here in verses 40 to 52. I believe these responses will probably tell us a little bit about the people in the room today. You've probably gotten an invitation before, and you know what responses to that are like. There's four key ones that I want to talk about here. Number one is the guy who says, I'm in. I'm in. You got the invitation? Great. I'm all in. Verses 40 to 41. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. I'm in. These are folks who have seen enough. They've gotten what they needed. They've heard the words of Jesus and they can recognize this isn't just another rabbi. This isn't just another good guy in town. This isn't just someone who's righteous and someone who knows a lot about God. This is someone different. And they say as much, don't they? They hear these words and they say, this really is the prophet. You know, Deuteronomy 18 again. Moses says, someone's going to come who's like me and greater than me. I think this is him. Now, a prophet doesn't necessarily mean he can save. But verse 41, others said, no, this is the Christ. These are people who understand exactly who Jesus is. These are people who understand Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is who Jesus is by what he does. He is a savior. He is the Messiah. We have waited for the one who can save us from our sins, and this is him. We have longed for someone who could restore us with God, and this is him. We have waited so long for someone who wouldn't just tell us about God, but someone who could make all things right with God. This is him. I'm in. I believe. What a joy it is to be the kind of person who receives this invitation by saying, I'm in. Because from you will flow rivers of living water. From the well that you have drank, you will now be a blessing to all people declaring the goodness of God and the salvation of Christ because you've seen him as he is, not only the prophet, but the Christ. If that's the first response, the second is in complete contrast. The second is the person who says, I'm out, I'm out. Here's the invitation to receive Jesus and a second group of people here say, I'm out. End of verse 41. Some have declared this is the prophet, this is the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now, 
It's kind of ironic how this begins to play out. These people know something about the Christ. They know where he's supposed to come from. Jesus, if you remember at the beginning of this chapter, he makes his way to this feast from Galilee. So these folks make the assumption that that's where he's from. Can the Christ really come from Galilee? Of course not. Hasn't the scripture said the Christ will come from the offspring of David? Surely it has. 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. He would be established, a kingdom would be established through the line of David. There would be a king who reigns forever through the offspring of David. Surely it has to be someone from David. And so it is with Jesus. But what's more, also, shouldn't he come from Bethlehem? Guys, this guy just walked down from Galilee. I'm pretty sure the Christ is supposed to come from a little town called Bethlehem. So this can't possibly be him. I'm not going to believe in this guy. He should be from David's town. All they had to do was ask a series of questions. If they would have just asked Jesus, you know, where were you born? Like they would have very quickly gotten the answer to the question they're asking here. Shouldn't he be from David? And shouldn't he be from Bethlehem? If you would have asked Jesus, you would have got a yes to both of those questions. But they don't. Because they're out. The truth is, they're not interested in Jesus. The truth, the truth is, these folks are comfortable where they are. They don't want to be needy. They don't want to be told they need anything. Matter of fact, they don't want to be told by Jesus that anything they already have is not enough. They're really happy with their good works. They're really happy with their religion. More importantly, they are very happy with their sin. They love that they're right, and they don't want to be told that they're wrong. To acquiesce to Jesus' statement, to give in to what Jesus is saying, is to put them in a position that would make them uncomfortable. Anyone who's out on Jesus doesn't like that Jesus makes them uncomfortable. Friends, here's the good news. If that's you, trusting in Jesus assures you the greatest comfortability for all eternity. What good is it to deny Jesus the truth now only to find out it's all true later? What good is it to deny Jesus the right of being perfect and holy and being true in the present, only to find out in the future that you were wrong all along. If you deny Jesus, that's what's coming for you. The good news you have today, this invitation, it's not just in black and white to tell you a neat little story about something Jesus did with a bunch of Jewish people. It's an invitation that rings as true now as it did then. You can recognize your neediness of Jesus and you can come to him and receive what only he can give you. So because of this, verse 43 says, there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. 
Some are in on Jesus and some are out. There is a third response here to this invitation. And it's simply this guy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know that guy. Can you come over? You know, what about this weekend? I don't know. What about next weekend? I don't know. Can you come over ever? I don't know. That's the guy we're about to see now. And it's actually interesting who they are. Verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. Now, who are these officers? Well, they're back in verse 32 for us of this chapter. Remember, the Pharisees, having heard the crowd murmuring, they sent officers to arrest Jesus. And now we come to find out they couldn't do it. They didn't do what they were sent out to do. And they're asked, why didn't you bring him in? And they said, no one has ever spoken like him. So what's going on with these guys? Well, these temple guards are torn in two. The Pharisees and the chief priests tell us, arrest this man. But then when we walk up to arrest him and we hear what he has to say, we realize no one's ever spoken like him. His words are different to everyone else's. It's what's said in the other gospels. Jesus doesn't speak like the scribes or the Pharisees. He speaks like someone who has authority. So what do we do with Jesus? Unfortunately, with these chief officers of the temple, we'll never know. We'll never know what they did with Jesus. But friends, this is a good opportunity to remind you that to be unsure of Jesus is to say no to Jesus. To try to stand in some kind of middle ground and say, you know what, I don't know what to do with him. You might as well say you don't want anything to do with him. You can't receive a part of Jesus or most of Jesus or the things you like about Jesus. You can't think nobly of Jesus but not submit to Jesus. You can't think, well, Jesus does say some really cool things, but there's other things I don't really like about him. To receive Jesus is an all or nothing kind of expense. You either give in or you're out. And this group right here that's not so sure, they're just like the group that says, I'm out. Maybe you haven't made up your mind yet about who Jesus is. Friends, there's only two right answers. There's only two possible answers, really. One leads to eternal life, and the other is you simply bringing down your own condemnation. To be not sure is to say no to Jesus. Last response here to the gospel of Christ that we see, a fourth response. We've seen those who are in, I'm in. We've seen those who've said, I'm out. We've seen those who've said, I'm not sure. Last but not least, we see the guys that say, let me think about it. Let me think about it. End of verse, or sorry, verse 47, the Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? 
but this crowd does not know the law is accursed. In other words, they respond to the temple guards by saying, none of us have believed in him. That should tell you everything you need. It's a bad place to place your faith in someone else's lack of it. It isn't a good answer to not believe in Jesus because someone else doesn't. So these temple guards are being told, well, you shouldn't believe in him because we don't. You should believe in him because he's worthy of you believing in him. Now, you see that there is a turn here that happens in verse verse 50. Someone we know shows up again, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, you remember in John chapter 3, and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees. Remember, he was the the chief Pharisee or the chief uh, um, leader in all of Israel. He said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus is able to stop the onslaught against Jesus by stopping the Pharisees in their track and reminding them of what is right, even in their own law. Before you guys keep attacking Jesus and saying we shouldn't believe in Jesus and saying that we should just disregard Jesus, doesn't our law say to hear him out and to learn about him and to give him a chance to speak for himself? That's what would be right to do. Hard to tell if Nicodemus here is a believer yet or not, but all we know is he stops them in their tracks and gives them this sense. Let's think about it a little longer. We need more time to investigate this Jesus. And they reply to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Go ahead. Do your investigation. Search him out. And make sure no one arises out of Galilee that will be this prophet, this Christ. And certainly make sure it's not Jesus. Friends, you can think about it as long as you like, but time will run out. If you are unsure and you need more time to think through it, Jesus is speaking clearly to you today that today is the day for you to believe. It's interesting that they don't want a prophet rising out of Galilee because there was one that already arose out of Galilee. I don't know if you know this, but there's a prophet by the name of Jonah and he's from Galilee. And you know what? I would venture to guess that these Jews don't like what Jesus is doing Because maybe his ministry looks a little bit too much like Jonah's. He's offering salvation, but not just to us, but to everybody. Jonah wasn't even happy with that. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Investigate it all you want. The answer will still ring true. Salvation is in God alone and in Christ alone and by faith alone. Friends, In our church, we would never, and I don't think it's a good idea to ever do like an altar call kind of situation. You come up here, we have you jump up and down and say you're saved. Um, You know, that's kind of a mess and not my flow. But can I just be real with you for one quick second? If you don't believe in Jesus, what reason do you really have for being in that position? All the evidence is stacked against you, not him. Everything you need to believe in Jesus is in his word and it rings true. 
No one denies his miracles. No one denies his power. No one can deny his work. Yeah, sure, you've got people that talk today, well, Jesus could never really do that. You know, when he was walking on water, there was really some kind of storm that came in the way, and then winds blew this way and wind blew that way. So there's a meteorological way to explain what Jesus did. Funny, because you weren't there. And the people that were say it happened. So it seems that Jesus is a pretty credible source. And he's not lying to you. In fact, lovingly, he tells you the truth about your soul so that you can receive what he offers and no one else can. If you don't believe in Jesus, you only have yourself to blame. Jesus is true. The true son of God. The lamb to be slain for the sins of the world. What's stopping you? If in your heart there is something nagging at you, that reminds you and tells you that you're wrong with God. You're not in right footing with him. Friend, I'm not saying you have to do anything. I'm simply saying Jesus has done it. All you have to do is receive it. Because when you do, you will be opened up to live a life from which out of your heart will flow living water. Friends, if you have believed in Jesus, praise God every day for it. Because apart from his grace, this reality would not be possible for you. But may you be reminded that the moment you receive this invitation, you received it for a lifetime. So live for Christ. Walk in the power of his spirit. Allow the spirit to dominate your conscience and your mind and your heart and your thoughts and allow him to lead you in a life that pleases God because God is pleased with his son. Believe in Jesus and hold fast to him for he is ever holding fast to you. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for your word. For it is truth. And in it we find life. God, there is no one else to turn to. Everyone likes to think that they have found a new Savior or they themselves are a pretty good Savior, but our Bible tells us so much different that you alone are the Savior. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord has given us his Son. Help us to trust in him. And as we've thirsted and come and drank from the well that is Christ. Help us then by the power of the spirit that dwells in us to live for you. Our students here this morning, this afternoon now, help them to be clear about where they stand with you. Help them to understand that they're either all in or all out. There is no in between. But God, that you, because of your great mercy, you desire to save and those who buy into Jesus, the free gift of salvation that Jesus has to offer, water that comes without price, they will never regret it. Thank you, God, for your mercy toward us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.